think this evening we'll 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 go back to Haggai on another Tuesday night, but let's go to Ephesians five. This this is one of those summers where there's a lot of marriage and a lot of anniversaries and all of these kind of things. And we've got several people celebrating these marital anniversaries and all of that good stuff. So I thought we'd just do a good marriage CD. <laughs> I figure anybody that was going to try to hang out and stay together will kind of need to need to kind of know some of what Paul said. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Okay, so we just call it the marriage CD. I'm, I'm trying to think. That fan back there, if Bradley, if you hit that little button on the wall there so that fan or these ceiling fans will go off, then some of these, these ladies won't be sitting there shivering with their, their uh, sweaters and everything on. But, but yeah, come on, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful to be able to fellowship again, and it's nice to spend a Tuesday night looking into your word. And so as we take the time to look into the beauties of marriage and the things that Mr. Paul wrote to the early church, speak to all of our hearts. Confirm each one of us in our marriages, and I pray that you'd preserve them. Father, for our folks who are single, we just pray you give them wisdom and give them some understanding out of these texts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, of course, nowadays you have to deal with this because of how different things are with respect to marriage in comparison with how some of you were raised, especially some of you that are older. But one thing we do know is that from the book of Genesis, the very first institution that the king of kings made was that of family. And of course, he started with Adam and then with Eve. So important was that creation narrative that Jesus even quotes it in Matthew 19 when he's talking about marriage and divorce. And he refers to that relationship reason that's important today is because churches are having to teach on this quite often because of the many redefinitions of marriage. So you may have 
today what someone calls an alternative marriage and someone else a traditional marriage. But because of the fact that you now have children being raised in homes where it may be an alternative type setting, they grow up believing that that is actually traditional. And so they think it's normal in some of their circles because of how their parents run with groups who also participate in those kinds of marriages. I think it's better for us to talk about not just a traditional type marriage, but biblical marriage. There's only one model that God provides in Scripture. They're not two. They're not three. God made them in the beginning male and female. Those are the genders that he announces in Scripture. I can't do anything about all of these other conversations people are having. God only called me to preach the, the Bible. And so because of the fact that marriage is a little different today, pastors are even having to deal with blended marriages because now you have more people becoming yoked who have children from previous marriages. You're dealing with stepchildren, half-children, sometimes no children. All of this can be dealt with from the scriptures, especially when we look into kings and in the era, era of the, the patriarchs. But I think that because so many people enter into marriage today without a biblical concept, this is why we see so many difficulties. Thirty some odd years ago when I started preaching, you had fewer marital seminars than you have today. But I don't think that the divorce rate has decreased in the church. Not because uh, the Bible isn't true, but as we're going to see as we go through this, this only works if you have two Christians. If you have someone who's not a Christian that we're yoked to, then it's very difficult, near impossible to even complete these things. It's even worse if you have two people who believe they're Christian and neither of them are saved, and they don't even know that they're not saved. But they believe they're Christian because they attended a few classes when they were teenagers or something like that, and someone told them that they're now a Christian. But the Apostle Paul, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, he gives us some prescriptions. And he says in verse 19 that we should speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So he's telling us we ought to be happy people, worshiping people that have a relationship with God. Happy, worshiping people will be able to do verse 20. And people who don't do verse 19 typically don't do verse 20. And verse 20 says, giving thanks always for all things. So the gratitude that we have toward God for our life comes from the fact that we spend our time worshiping him. And if we give thanks always for all things, that means that in the beginning when I first fell in love or I'm falling in love, if I want to maintain that so that I can get a card shower at the 40-year wedding anniversary and the 70-year wedding anniversary, then both parties need to be able to be thankful to God for the fact that he has provided this person for me. And once that gratitude is lost and people in turn no longer begin to no longer see their 
their spouse as a gift, but now as a burden, then it becomes a problem. Because most people don't want to hold on to burdens. You want to lay down a burden. You don't want to carry a burden. You don't even want to have a burden in your life. In verse 20 says, give thanks for all things. That means that during your Christian life, you are to praise God at all times. That's Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. Doesn't mean you have to be grateful for everything that comes into your life. If it's bad, I mean, the devil's going to attack. He's going to bring problems. I'm not saying go around and say, oh, praise the Lord. Trouble came to my house. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that if you're going to walk with the king, that in the midst of your relationship with with the Lord, you need to be able to praise him no matter what is taking place. Now, a lot of bad things happen and we we don't want any of them to happen to you. But uh, sometimes parents bury a a baby. See, Uh, sometimes a house is broken into and a life is taken. Sometimes a daughter or a niece or a cousin is raped. But we don't want you running around here saying, oh, Father, thank you for allowing that to happen. That's a waste of time. But what we do is in the middle of that, we say, Father, I praise you and glorify you because I know you're yet with me. And you're going to bring me through all of this. So this is the same way, same thing we have to do in the midst of marriage. This is the same thing we have to do when we're single. Because when when a person is single and they uh, are longing for someone in their life, or if they don't want somebody in their life and they want to remain committed to the king for the rest of their life, they still need to be able to bless God and worship him. So verse 19 shows us we should be worshipful. Verse 20 shows us that gratitude has to be an act that we that we display towards God. And then in verse 21, it makes it easier because if you're doing verse 20, you're going to be able to do verse 21. And it says, submit yourself one to another. And this right now is just talking about Christians being submitted to one another, that that we're connected like members of a body. And that means that I value your opinion value what you believe, your voice is important, and I don't ever want to leave you in a position where you think you don't matter, because you do. But when you move into verse number 22, Paul narrows the submission, and rather than just saying Christians being submitted one to another, he narrows it by saying, now specifically wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Now notice what he does not say. He does not say, wives, submit yourself to your own wives. He says to your own husbands. There was a time, and there probably still are several millions of people like this, that when it came to the word submit, they just thought this was synonymous with chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So they just kind of thought that meant if you're a lady, you know, you just, you can be seen but not heard, just button it up and get in there and make me something to eat. Well, you know, that's, a, that's an easy way to starve. And, <laughs> and, if you, and if you don't, if you don't starve, you will certainly have an unhappy marriage anyhow. I don't think for one second that I'm under the impression that just because people make it 
to 50 or 60 or 70 years of marriage that I automatically think they know what they're doing. There are a whole lot of people that make it that long. They just they just don't want to go anywhere else. You've been married that long. Why leave? But if if, in fact, people remain in love with each other and those affections continue, then verse 22 isn't, isn't that difficult at all. And you're going to see when I get down to verse 25 that verse 22 is very easy to do if somebody is doing verse 25 and it's a man doing verse 25. But in verse, verse 22, submit yourself to your own husband. So that means wives, ladies, don't permit other men to have a stronger and more authoritative voice in your life than your own husband. And I've seen a lot of people that they're female and their best friends are men. and They're closer to other men than they are to their husband. That's a recipe for disaster. Definitely. Because you will listen to what someone else is saying rather than your hubby. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that we're dealing with husband and wife that are Christian. I'm not assuming that every man knows everything about everything on planet Earth. Some of you do remember the Cosby show. And you remember whenever Bill would put on his tool belt, everybody would take off and leave the house and run off in a different room because he enjoyed his tool belt, but he didn't know how to repair anything. So there are times you've got to ask other people how to do this and, and, and how to do that. But in the form of submission, it's because in the past how this word was used that we had a feminist movement that developed and we have so many people today that are absolutely opposed to a husband-wife relationship relegating to a woman to a secondary position, which I don't think this particular verse is implying anyway. I think a person who is uh, too masculine in, in their approach and that they just want to be domineering and I don't allow my wife to say anything. I'm making a final word. That's all it is. That thing can be a spirit, just like feminism can be a spirit. There's no doubt about it. But, but here then, if it says unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, then you've got to figure out how can I be submissive to someone that I'm married to in the same manner that I'm submitted to the Lord? Because the one thing we do know about Jesus, he's perfect. He's never done anything wrong, never said anything wrong, never had to apologize about doing anything wrong. But it seems to me like I'm sorry is my middle name. I'm saying it all the time with Tiffany. I wake up in the morning, just roll over. I'm sorry. <laughs> Throughout the day, I'm saying I'm sorry. At the end of the day, I'm saying I'm sorry. There's always something that I happen to say I'm sorry about. I said it the wrong way. I said it. In, in, in a way she didn't understand it. I said it with the wrong tone of voice. However, it, it comes out, you still have to be able to acknowledge that she's of value. And the only, re, only way she's ever going to want to submit is if I treat her as if she's an equal. Because she is an equal. I don't know if you realize it, but when God put Adam and Eve in the garden and he spoke to them in the beginning, before man sinned, he told both of them you have equal dominion and power and authority. The, the role of submission and the headship of the man is a product of sin. So, man, let's not get too happy about that. 
Only reason, only reason it operates like that is because of iniquity. So we received a position of power not on the basis of God's original commandment, but because he responded to the iniquity of man and woman in the beginning. So look again, as unto the Lord. That is to say, your husband, he is not Jesus. However, Tiffany, you are to act like he is. Play like he is. Well, (laughs) Tiffany, Tiffany doesn't like that game too much. She doesn't like that one. Okay. But, But verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife. Now, let's, let, let's be careful with our metaphors here. When, when we have figures of speech like this, we naturally think of a body, we think of the head, we think the head has the mind, this does all the thinking, so quite naturally a woman ought not be allowed to make any decision, ought not be allowed to say anything. That is not what this is talking about. A guy who's married to a woman, he's her covering. And we need to know the difference between a covering and a lid. A covering is is something that's like an umbrella that provides protection, shade. A lid, it smothers, it destroys, you can't even breathe. And some men are like that. And you you can watch the... Marital arrangements, when you get around, folks, Tiffany and I, we, we do this all the time when we're traveling. We go into a restaurant, we sit down at a table, and here we are carrying on laughing. I'm holding her hands and everything like that. And we start looking around the, the, the restaurant, and you can always tell the, the couples that are dating or just got married. Oh, my goodness, they're just giggling at one another, and they just can't get enough of each other and peekaboo behind the menu and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then here you see someone has been married for, for decades and they can't even really find anything to talk about anymore. So everybody's staring at the menu. And then when a server comes, then they talk to the server, then they go right back down. Or sometimes you see the wife, she's just looking at the stuff that's on the wall and all these different things. Folks, it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. Because the husband and wife ought to be best friends forever. It should never change. And if, if I gave my heart at one time to Tiffany and she gave her heart to me, then our hearts belong to one another forever. It should never change. That's how it's supposed to be. When it doesn't work that way, then we end up with all kinds of other problems. So if the husband is the head of the wife and he acts more as a covering than as a lid, I think things work out better. And the revelation that we have on this is, is, is uh, utilized with this scripture here where it says Christ is the head of the church. Now, how is he the head of the church? He founded the church. He started the church. He put everything in motion. And this typically is how marriage operates. Around the world, Christianity is the only religion, if we'll use that word, that puts women on equal status with guys. So go to the Middle East and look at how ladies are treated, like property. You go from your father's home to your husband's home. You may be married off in an arranged marriage by the time you're 10, 11, 12. 
rural parts of Afghanistan, Iran, places like that. Sometimes they have the, the weddings arranged by the time they're eight. In parts of East Africa, there are places where the parents arrange the weddings when the children are born. They have already negotiated what little girl is going to marry what little boy. It doesn't have anything to do with what they think. But when you consider our own culture, it's, it's totally different over here. And when we read in the scripture, uh, very often we read into the verses the way we have grown up in Western society. It didn't work like that in ancient times, and it doesn't work like that in most of the world today. No little girl is going home and introduce her boyfriend to her parents, as we do here. It's just not going to happen over there. But it is the male that initiates He's going to put it all together. He's going to talk to his dad. His dad's going to work with some people. And, and to some degree, even here in America, it's like that. I've seen people who have been dating for eight, nine, ten years, and the man didn't propose, okay? And so the lady waits, but she's waiting because he's expecting him to initiate it. See? Him to initiate it. Because that's, that's been pretty much the, the uh, pattern throughout history. Well, we want to understand then if, if the church is to be, excuse me, if the husband is to be the head of the wife, then he's only the head of his own wife. I'm not the head of anybody else's wife. I'm a pastor. I teach and speak into people's life, but in terms of headship, I work with her, and in marriage, you work with who you have. Now, out here, because we have had, oh, how do I want to say it? Uh, because we have had modeled for us maybe dads and moms and husbands and wives that may not have been the best, then when our young men get married, the only thing they know to do is imitate what they've seen dad do. And the only thing the wives or the little girls know how to do is imitate what they've seen their mom do. And this is why from generation to generation, you'll see sometimes here is a lady who lives with a man who beats her. And then by the time the little girl becomes a teenager and heads off to college, she falls in love with a young man who treats her with terrible disrespect. But rather than leaving, knowing that it's a bad situation, she just simply learns to endure it because this is what she's seen all of her life. And the same thing happens in, in a reverse situation with, with, with the guys. I honestly believe that if Ephesians 5 is understood, it helps us along the way. It says Christ is the head of the church and savior of the body. That means he redeemed it. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And if he's the redeemer of his body, which is the body of Christ, then the role of the husband is to be a savior, to help, to rescue, to redeem. So verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. So again, you run into submission subjection but let's qualify that final that final phrase there in everything if you're a woman married to a man who's not a christian or you have a friend who's a christian lady married to a man who's not a christian she cannot subject herself to everything that he says to do it's impossible 
You say, why? Because he doesn't know God. And he may tell her to do something that's ungodly. Think of how many parents there are in America who prostitute their children. I'm talking about folks on drugs who trade a child for some crack, some meth, some heroin, whatever it might be. And if you've got a guy who's saying, look, just let our little 14-year-old spend a little bit of time with this drug dealer. It's only going to be for a couple of hours. And you're a Christian woman. Absolutely not. You get out of that house with your daughter as quick as you can. Yeah. And if, if, uh, if I knew of or know of somebody who's beating on a woman and then the, the woman is, is, is wanting, she's got a job and she's wanting to tithe or something like that. She's wanting to pray and her husband's telling her, I don't want you praying in this house and I don't want you giving anything to that church. Well, she don't have to obey that devil. She has a relationship with God. She don't have to allow herself to be pushed down to that degree. Back in the 80s, I met a lot of women who were abused and would not leave the marriage because someone told them, honey, just keep praying. You'll never know what God will do. So you just stay right on in there. He so said what they're saying to her is basically you stay in there while he's swinging. You duck and you pray. There's no wisdom in that at all. Paul said in first Corinthians, if your husband is pleased to dwell with you, dwell with him. But if he don't want to be there, no sense in you trying to make him stay there. Paul said, you don't even know if he's going to even going to get saved. That's what Paul said. So that means if there comes a time, sometimes if it's so bitter, so hostile, so violent, Paul said it's better to separate so that later on in the end you could return to one another. And whenever I've had to get involved with anything like that, then I tell people, look, you need to get where you can have some peace and where you can talk to God and have a relationship with the king. And if he wants to act right or she wants to act right, then you can get back together. But if somebody were to call pastor and say, so-and-so is been beating on me or a kid calls me and tells me uh, dad's been hitting on mom or something like that, I already know what, what happens. Somebody gets a visit from me with a few men in the church. And we kind of let them know we're not going to have you putting your hands on somebody who's a member of the church. That's just irresponsible, and that's not a good thing. There's no sense in praying about what you can change. And then you let him know that you know, you're going to go to work one day and come home and the house is going to be empty. And the church is going to make sure she has an apartment somewhere and take care of her and may not ever tell you where she is. See? You, gotta, you have to practice wisdom with, with all of this. <clears throat> so verse, verse 25 goes on to tell us now then, husbands love your wives. Now notice where the husband's affection is supposed to be aimed, at his wife. Do not love everybody else's wife. Love your own. This is how we keep adultery out of the situation. Love your own. If, if you maintain affection for your own wife, then we don't have to worry about the situation where somebody brings you in the presence of Jesus and they say, Lord, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. The law says we ought to kill her. What do you think? Oh, adultery very often 
comes simply from the fact that too much opportunity, you know, too much opportunity. And if, if men, if we guard ourselves, guard our minds, and do what God wants us to do, and just love our wives, then we'll be fine. We'll be fine. But if, if we're going to spend our time focusing on other people and on other folks' wives, then it's going to be nothing but trouble. So if this is what the husbands are supposed to do for their wives, now, just like I told you with verse 22, notice what verse 25 doesn't say. It doesn't say, husbands, love your husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives. And, and when God blesses you with one, remember, the scripture says, he that finds a wife finds what? A good thing. Yeah, so once you get your hands on a good one, you hold on to her. I mean, after all these years of investing, do you really want to start all over again? No, you, you probably don't. But it gives you a comparative statement. He says, love your wives in this way, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now that is quite the challenge. Any woman that has a man that she feels loves her like Christ loved the church, she won't have a problem doing verse 22. But if she doesn't have a husband and loves her like Christ loved the church, she's not going to respond favorably to hardly anything, you say. Can you believe when, when Tiff and I hadn't even been married 90 days, probably not even 30 days, we had to sit down and do our first Marriage counseling session. Yeah. Couple had some adultery issues. And somebody from Colorado who was a farmer had told this couple about us having started a church in Red Cloud. And so here they came over to the house and we're sitting at the table and the wife is crying. And the husband's the guilty party. And both of us, I mean, we hadn't even made it to the new year in our marriage yet. And here we having to talk to these people about repairing something that pretty much was on its way down. But with the help of the Lord, we did the best we we could, you know, but I, I used to I used to harass Tiffany because verse 22 here says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. So I would follow Tiffany around the house just to irritate her. And I follow her around and read this verse. And I say, obey me. <laughs> obey me. Now, you know where that got me. It didn't, me. didn't get me anywhere at all. She didn't pay any attention to anything I had to say. <clears throat> but think about it in verse 25. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Why do people read the last few verses of Matthew and, six, and, uh, and Mark 16 and then the last few verses of Luke and then take off and pack their bags and go to the uttermost parts of the earth? Why do people turn around and leave and go to other states and other cities to do ministry or to take a job that they believe is going to be good for them and their Christian experience. They do it because they realize the sacrifice Jesus made for them was so great that there is nothing they could ever do to repay the debt. That's why. And, and if a husband understands that kind of sacrificial love, then of course he would be willing to sacrifice himself and his will for his own wife. This is what Paul is saying. He loved the church and gave himself for it. 
And there are some men, they're not even willing to go on vacation with their wife. Because I just got too much stuff going on. We got enough time to go to Husker Harvest Days every day. But we don't have time to go and spend some time with a wife on vacation. I've told you about these little stories I've seen where the... uh, they say, I want, you show, I want to show you some pictures of my kids when they were just little tiny toddlers, you know. Then you look at the pictures, and here in this farm family, little baby there, and he's playing with a little John Deere tractor. I mean, not a plastic one, one of the real metal ones, you know, good ones. And, and then you, you watch later on in the pictures when the kid gets a little bigger and he gets to ride with dad on the, on the tractor and you got the snapshots of him, you know, up there holding the steering wheel, just smiling ear to ear. And then you see the pictures when he's a teenager and he's out there, he's in that combine, he's helping bring in that harvest. I mean, the pictures are there, you can see him out there in the field, Oh, how wonderful it is. Then, of course, when he has his graduation from high school, he's holding his, his, his little grant or his scholarship that he got from John Deere. And then you realize the whole, this, this family's entire existence has been tied up with that farm and with John Deere. There's not a picture of anybody at an amusement park there's not a picture of anybody that's on some island. There's nobody somewhere at a hotel resting and reclining and enjoying themselves. Everything is centered around that job. And see, when that lady has something that she wants to do, gentlemen, if you're going to love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, then sometimes you're going to have to say, not my will, but thy will be done. And make the same kind of sacrifice. And this is what hinders a lot of happiness in marriage because uh, people can see, well, you invest in you and you invest in your projects, but you'll invest in what I want. And think of how many uh, stay-at-home moms there are out here in the heartland who have, have set aside a career and their dreams to fulfill someone else's dreams and career. And they don't get the same fulfillment out of it. And the scripture makes it very plain. We should be willing to die. Yeah, absolutely. And and when that death doesn't take place in us, it slowly takes place in her. This is why we see so many people who've been married for 20 years, 25 years, 35 years, and they just wake up one day and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Kids are grown, out of the house. I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm unhappy, and I can be unhappy on my own. People do it all the time. It doesn't have to be that way. If we take Jesus as our example, men, then we can see loving our wives is not just something we do in the bedroom. It's the way we act throughout our career, throughout our life, the way we interact with them. Very important. It's the same way Christ has interacted with us. And the whole point in verse 
26 is that Jesus wanted to cleanse us and wash us and present to himself a glorious church. Now, the only way he's going to get a glorious church is he became what he wanted in his wife, his bride. Jesus was holy, without spot, without blemish. So he became that kind of person. He lived that kind of life to produce that in the church. So as a guy, if, if I want a wife who's not critical, do you think a guy should go out of his way and stop being so critical? It would help. Maybe a little bit. Think it would help a little bit? Yeah. If, if, if you wanted someone who didn't murmur all the time, don't you think we kind of need to be that, that way? But I can tell you why we murmur. I know exactly why we murmur. It's because we can't go off on the boss at the job or we won't have a job. And we're not going to go off on the people in the church because we don't want them to know we blow our top. But we know at home the wife isn't going anywhere. She's in covenant with us, so she's going to take it. She's going to hear it. She's going to hear all our belly aching. And believe me, that's part of her ministry. She wants to be there as long as we're not negative and attacking. But she wants to be there to help men and help heal and help encourage and strengthen and fortify. But you have to become the kind of person that you want your wife, what your wife to be. Some people say, well, if he ever gets himself together, then I'll get myself together. But I don't think anybody's going to get themselves together then. If he ever stops cussing at me, I'll stop cussing at him. Well, that's not what, it, that's not what the scripture is teaching. You, you are in charge of your reaction and your response. You do not have to be responsive and reactive in equal measure. The scripture says a soft answer turns away what? Wrath. That's why I'm glad I'm married to Tiffany. That little lady, it takes a lot to get her angry. That's why she's always smiling. I tease her all the time with her doctors. Uh, and she goes in and she gets all the blood work back in the panel and everything. And they tell her her blood pressure is right where it needs to be. And she doesn't have any stress at all. And then I like to remind her who she's married to. She's got a pastor, you know, there's a husband she's married to. And, of course, she doesn't attribute it to that at all. <laughs> we, we have totally different understandings on why, why she has low blood pressure. She thinks her blood pressure is better when I'm down here having a day of prayer and fasting here in Hebrew. Yeah, but that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not have a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So verse 28. So men ought to love their wives. So here's the obligation. As their own bodies... He that loves his, his wife loves himself. Why are men abusive to their wives? They're not happy with themselves at all. Unhappy with themselves. Bitter, full of anger, hostile on the inside, troubled on the inside. So it springs up in them and they trouble everybody around them. Now they won't see it that way. They'll just say, I'm that way because that's just how my grandfather was, and that's just how my dad was, and that's just how we Irish people are. Well, there's no sense in slandering all the Irish people, because they don't all act like that. 
Yeah. Don't blame all them people. That's just the German in us. That's the way we act around here. Not true. I've been around a lot of German people that are nice. You don't have to conduct yourself that way. So men, love your wives because that's the obligation. I heard somebody one time teaching a marriage seminar, and they said, well, it's nowhere in Paul's letters where he ever tells the wife to love the husband. I thought, oh, that's crazy. That's over in Titus, where it said to the older ladies, teach the women to be discreet and chaste and keepers at home, to love their children, love their husbands. You can't have a marriage without love. And when you have one where love doesn't exist, the marriage cannot continue. It won't continue. And you've seen that over and over again. I've watched where wives have gotten involved with stuff on the computer that they shouldn't have been watching with. And then they turn around and just leave the husband with the kids and go off to another state and get divorced so they can take up with somebody that they just met over a computer. Yeah, doesn't have to be that way. If our affection is toward our spouse, then the bonds of those affections will be so strong it's hard to sever them. And if it's truly a good marriage, then to be quite honest with you, those bonds are going to be stretched sometimes, but they'll remain intact. And that's even if somebody falls. A difficulty occurs in the, in the marriage. The scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. Marriages can only function if there's a lot of forgiveness. And for you that have been married for quite a number of years. You know, if you don't have forgiveness, you can't have a marriage. Because there's always something said. You look back in the past, there's several things that have been done, if not a couple of hundred. There's a difficulty with how we're going to handle the kids. Somebody didn't have a, weren't in agreement about whether or not to let them go to prom, whether or not to let them do this. And small things can become big things, but when two people love each other, they still press right on through. They do. They, they just, they don't, they don't give up. So verse, verse 29, no man ever hated his own flesh. And that's true. You're not out here trying to abuse yourself, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. Jesus is so impressed with the body of believers that he put together that he esteems them and values them. And this is how men ought to be with their wives. To love them, to treat them as though they certainly are precious. And if we follow Paul's prescriptions here, then we can stay on the road. But remember, like I told you in the beginning, you got to have two people. Two people that are Christian doing this. You try to do this on your own and you're unequally yoked with someone, you're going to have one problem after another. Now, there is a way Peter gets into talking about trying to pray for and, and, and deal with uh, spouses that are, that are unbelievers, but you have to live a consistent life in front of them. But when two people are committed to the Lord and Christ is the center of their life, they can maintain it. And Paul says, verse 30, we are members of his body and his, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. This is the reason that a man leaves mom and dad's house so that they can be joined together. 
Now, there are many, many places in the world where when people get married, they live with their parents or their grandparents. I think when my mom and pops first got married, I think they lived with my grandma for the first six months or nine months or something like that. They told me about And I do know this, though. If there's no leaving, there's typically no cleaving. Because the only way to really establish who you are in your marriage and in your unity and in your oneness is to be able to exist outside of the parents. You know how difficult it would be for a wife to be the wife God wants her to be if every day she was in her mother's house? Doesn't matter how old she gets, mama's going to treat her like a daughter. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what would happen uh, one of the best things that ever happened to us, we got married and moved up here. 19 hours from my folks, 16 hours from hers. Nobody could get mad and run down the road or across the street and go to complaining to somebody. There was nowhere to go. If I got in the car and took a ride somewhere and drove two or three blocks or Tiff went around the block two and, and drove for four or five minutes, somebody had to come home. It's not like here. Somebody gets angry and upset. They head to grandma's house and they may not come back home for a week and a half can't build a marriage that way. There's no leaving, there's no cleaving, so there has to be a separation point where we say, I'm leaving mom and pops so that I can join myself to my wife and be the husband that I need to be to her. Otherwise, it'll be impossible. I left home 1987, hadn't moved back home other than when I got out of the, the, the military, but since then, there hadn't been one occasion, if my father was here right now, he could not stand up here and give you one occasion where I ever had to call him or did call him and ask him for a dime. Not one. I figured either he raised me the right way or he didn't. See, and for me, if, if I was going to do ministry, he's going to have to supply the need. He promised he would. So he's going to have to supply it. Otherwise, I need to get into another form of another form of work. And, and whenever I have needed extra money in my prayers, then, of course, for like anybody else, God sends me more work. I'm not a carpenter. So if a carpenter needs extra money, he's going to get extra jobs to bid on. Things like that. For me, mine comes in the way of revivals. Mine comes in the way of camp meetings. Pastor Darrell, would you come hold this meeting for us? Could you come teach our leaders this? So all of that happens simply because of talking with the king. And if we follow the Lord the right way, he will provide for us. But we have to do it God's way. We do. And If you have talents and gifts and God has blessed you, then you already know this. Some of you have already come through this whole aspect of life. And you're in the winter years of your life. And God has you in a position where you can speak to younger people if they'll listen to you. Some young people just don't want to hear anything from older people at all. But I spent most of my young years as a preacher hanging out with old preachers because I, I wanted to know what they knew. No sense of me running around making the same mistakes they made. And it's the same thing with, with a marriage. You find somebody 
that you believe is happily married and enjoys themselves, and then you just start asking questions. What are the secrets to a successful marriage? And you ask. I asked one couple that had been married over 65 years. They told me I work nights, she work days. So I guess if that's what the secret is to their marriage, then that's what the secret is. But I don't want the secret to our success to be that we've separated ourselves. See? And we're just passing each other in the morning and in the evening. Let's finish up here. The two shall be one flesh. That's what happens. It happens when they come together physically. It certainly happens when they're living together. And as a married couple, they emotionally and spiritually become in one. I think for anyone who's been married for a good while, if I were to ask the spouse, could you tell me what your spouse believes about this? I bet you the wife could tell me. I bet you the husband could tell me. If, if I were to say, you know, there are people right now that are talking about taking everybody's guns. What does your husband think about that? I bet you every wife could tell me. Yeah, yeah, could tell me. And, and I, I believe that when people have been together long enough, sometimes, you know, it's true. They, they really do start exhibiting the same habits, manners, things like that. Uh, they start acting the same. Well, verse 32 says, This is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So there's the key. All this stuff about submission and subjection ultimately comes down to this little verse right here that she just reverence her husband. It's not a matter of worship. It's not a matter of adoration. Just a matter of acknowledging position. And no lady need fear of being in a marital relationship where the husband is the head of the wife, regardless of what people are saying on television who absolutely despise this. Our, our family dynamics are different today than they were in scriptural times. There's no doubt about it. Out here, you still find people who there may be one person in the house that's working. But you head to Maryland, you go to Virginia, California, New York, Cleveland, and places like that, you're going to have everybody in that house working, including the dog. Because it's so expensive. That is, unless you're going to live in a trailer. But if you're going to have a house, I mean, an average couple out in California now, I mean, just to try to get a house, you're going to have to start off somewhere upwards of $200,000, $300,000. You know how long people are living in studio apartments and in trailers just to get to where they can purchase a home? So people are having to work two jobs just to try to stash a couple of thousand dollars every year to build up to when they are been married 30 years so that they finally can have 10% or 20% to put down on a $400,000 house. Yeah. So we, we truly are blessed to be where we are and we, we don't have a whole lot of complaints. We can still go to sleep out here with our doors unlocked. That is, unless you don't want pastor to come in your house early in the morning singing. <laughs> and I notice there are a few of you now that lock your doors, and you don't want me to show up doing that. But that's okay. 
That's okay. So, uh, uh, men, you you notice in all of this, Paul deals more with the guys than he does with the girls, but it starts off with the girls, and it seems kind of rough in the beginning because the bottom line is if we love our wives as Christ loved the church, the wives won't have a problem submitting. Yeah. But if we're going to be domineering, and it's my way or the highway, and her word doesn't matter, it's going to be a sad time. Paul said the ladies guide the children, guide the house. But if you really think about that, you know, that ancient Roman custom, all that takes in the economy of the home, you know. Uh, my dad, he was a, he was a, he, he was a man made a whole lot of money. By the time I was in junior high school, he had a good six-figure income, but never would move us out of the inner city or the east side of Cleveland because he said, what's the point moving out there in the suburbs and buying a house that costs a couple hundred thousand dollars? I can stay right here where we are and have all that extra money. We can travel and do whatever we want to do. So that's exactly what he did. Kept us right where we were. But my dad was the kind of guy, he didn't like to loan money to family members. And so... When, when family members would come and they'd want to borrow $100 or $500 or something like that, and they'd say, we'll pay you back, then, then my dad would say something like, well, if you don't have the money now, then what makes you think you're going to have the money in six months? Because whatever habit you have in your life that causes you not to have the money now are probably going to continue until you're not going to have the money later on. So he'd either never give them the money, just say no, or if he gave it to him, it wasn't a loan. He just gave it to him so this way he didn't lose any sleep over it at night. You know, he didn't, have, he didn't have to worry about it because he knew it was gone and it was a gift. But he, he was one of these guys that in, in teaching me, he, he always felt like if you're going to be married, then you're going to have to know how to take care of yourself and take care of your family. You know, that was important to him. My, I got out of that military. I was home, I don't think, maybe three weeks. And he said something to me like, what are you going to do with yourself now? I said, well, I just exited the Marine Corps a couple of weeks ago. I plan on just enjoying a vacation. He said, well, vacation is over. He said, you're not going to lay, you're not laying around here and eating up all the food and running up the utilities. Go out and get a job. So it's at that point, I just went on out and started, started doing the ministry. You see, sometimes we need somebody to just kind of give us a little shove in the right direction, you know. And rather than allow ourselves to have a bad marriage or see people in a bad marriage and persisting in a bad marriage, point them to Ephesians chapter 5 and help them to see what God designed it to be. And if, if it works the way it's supposed to, we'll have a lot of happy, happy people. And that's what I believe is, uh, is good. Uh, it's, it's not enough to read the scripture. We have to apply it. I've sat through a whole lot of marriage seminars in my life. Tiffany and I, we've taught marriage retreats with different people. It is not an easy thing to do 
because the stuff we have to share there, I could never share here because we got these little people here and you've got to get into so much stuff and expose yourself. Oh my goodness. Who wants to do that? You see, who wants to do that? But God gave us the book, folks. Let's believe the book no matter what anybody says. Amen. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful that the word is true and we are so happy that you have showed us in your word how you want married folks to live. And God, I pray that whoever hears this tape in the future, that it ministers to them and that at the same time, it blesses those that may be struggling and having difficulties. Your son gave us an example that is worth following. And Father, where you have seen in all of our lives failures and flaws and weaknesses, we are so grateful that you have forgiven us. Help us, O oh God, to do better. Help us to be better husbands, better wives. Help the children to obey their parents as this is right in the Lord, the scripture says. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.